Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. Hey everybody, how are you? How's your day going so far? This is your favorite instructor, Ryan Bradshaw. And I'm glad to have you in class again, be it virtually. This is uh, Business uh, 137, Principles of Management. And we are continuing our conversation today talking about Chapter 14, which is all about motivation. But before we jump into the chapter, how are you doing? How's things going? Everything going well for you? Well, I hope so. <clears throat> I miss talking to you guys in class and talking about <clears throat> just kind of your uh, day in and day outs, talking about, you know, what you've been watching and uh, what's been going on in your life with work and things like that. So if you do have something interesting to share, just go ahead and email, email it to me. I like to hear from you. I like to hear good news. So uh, pass that along. I've had several students email me and talk about kind of how they've been coping with the uh, the pandemic and the change we've all been going through. So just keep me posted with that. I like to hear that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> aside from that, um, I've been doing a, quite a bit of grilling lately. Um, not excessively, but we cook probably every other night or so. Um, the nights we don't cook, I'll do something very easy like pizza or you know something like sandwiches and chips and stuff like that so but you know when we do cook i've been grilling you know pretty often just because the weather has been nice in the afternoons and uh i've been home so i can light the grill and get it ready so i've been doing a lot of <clears throat> hot dogs and hamburgers and chicken and things like that so um in fact uh i had hot dogs and hamburgers last night and uh if the weather permits, we're probably going to do grilled chicken tonight, so we'll see. <clears throat> I've been wanting to get a smoker for a long time. I don't know if, you know, does any of you guys have a smoker? There's ones I've looked at that are around $130 or so. Um, and basically, you light a small fire in the very bottom of it and just kind of let it go for uh, four to six hours, depending on what kind of meat you got and how big it is. But I think that would be tremendous to do all kinds of different things. You know, even a turkey, you know, just let it go and smoke the turkey. So, but uh, I guess you'd have to watch out for it being dry and stuff. So, um, trying to think anything else been going on. Um, hadn't been watching too much this week. So, <clears throat> believe it or not, what <laughs> I'll turn on the TV in the morning and kind of go through my emails and. Uh, work on you know classroom stuff grading and things like that and the thing I have going on in the background is Little House on the Prairie I don't know if any of you've watched that I know some of you have in the past but um, <laughs> I haven't watched Little House on the Prairie in forever this is a show I watched as a kid um, and it was produced and made in the uh, mid 70s into the 80s and it's really a kind of a wholesome show every show has like this emotional zinger uh where you know one of the characters is doing something that's i don't know somebody ends up crying so <laughs> but um it's i don't know it's just uh 
I don't know, it's one of those, it's a good show. I, I've, I've kind of uh, just had it going in the mornings, kind of, uh, and, and the channel which shows up on, on my satellite is called Up TV. It's supposed to be uplifting, so, I don't know, pretty, it's a positive uh, show I've been having. So that's what I've been watching kind of this week. Uh, but aside from that, I hadn't really watched any movies or anything. <clears throat> but um, I'm trying to think anything else to bring up. We are going through registration right now. And I know some of you have expressed interest in uh, summer registration, so be sure to contact your advisor to talk about that. <clears throat> and that will be going on for a while, but it's good. It's important to go ahead and kind of lock in your classes because uh, you don't know what's going to be available and when. Um, even though you can have access to the course schedule from your end, you might not be able to see if you can get into that class or not. Um, you might can from self-service, but the, the point being is that if somebody else wants that class and it fills up prior to you being able to get into it, then that creates an issue where you have to wait. And since you're already enrolled, you should have priority access to those classes versus new incoming students. And so that being said, if you do want to take summer classes, go ahead and secure the classes you want and basically get first dibs on that. Um, we've, I've been registering uh, a few students this week and some classes are already filling up. Um, I will say too that we do offer a more limited offering in the summer because we do have generally less in attendance, but uh, that being said, uh, those classes, those limited offerings do fill up, so um, <clears throat> just if you are interested in doing that, sooner rather than later is better. Um, even if you think uh, you're kind of unsure, but you might take one or two classes, you might want to go ahead and jump into those because you can change your mind later and kind of uh, you know drop those prior to the beginning of the semester if if you wanted you know. But so just just putting that out there, and one of the reasons I so strongly encourage summer registration is because uh, it just keeps you engaged. You know, um, it's so easy to kind of fall out of the habit of being a student over a three-month period um, and life events happen and you might be tempted to just kind of take a pause or take a time out and <clears throat> I did that myself I was a junior and I just I had a I had one bad semester and I was like look you know I just I'm not feeling it I'm kind of uh, over it at the moment and part of it was my fault I had basically burnt out. I, I had done uh, just a ton of work in a short amount of time. Basically did two years worth of work in about 12 months. <clears throat> I was taking heavy semesters. My first fall semester I took 24 hours and I got to a point where I needed to, to, to really lock in on a major and kind of felt like my whole life was in front of me and I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. And the, the odd thing is, is once, <clears throat> once I graduated uh, which was about five years after that point because I took three years off and then I came back and, and took another two years to finish up. Ended up getting two degrees. Uh, one was in business and the other one was in criminal justice. Um, but uh, the odd thing is is that when I graduated, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. I ended up, uh, as you know, went going to work for Walmart and that was a good career path. I thought you know, I'll go do this for a while and work my way into upper management, store manager, 
And all I could see was dollar signs. I thought, you know, I'd get a six-figure salary and manage a multi-million-dollar store, and the rest would be history. But once I got inside, I realized very quickly that uh, becoming a store manager is very political. You have to know someone. You have to be somebody's favorites. Um, it's there's just a lot of politics involved in that, and um, people that are connected to the home office, that, those kinds of things, you know. And aside from that, even if you are connected, it takes probably 15 to 20 years minimum to become a store manager. Um, I know people that have done it less, but I also know people that have been trying for that length of time and can't get any traction. So... Um, that is uh, a struggle, you know. If you're if you go to a career path, to commit 20 years to a career, uh, and maybe or maybe not make uh, the uh, goal that you're trying to reach, um, that that's very uh, disheartening, you know. And I told a story in my other class uh, podcasts. Uh, the other class we were talking about in their chapter 14 about. Um, equal opportunity <clears throat> this is a business law and so in that class I told this story about how when I graduated from the management training program at Walmart <clears throat> they told me that I would be the last to get promoted because I was young white and male and this was a weird thing to hear um, but the reason being is because Walmart was really pushing to try to promote people that were minorities and female because they had, for the longest time, had an over-representation of male and specifically white male store managers. And so to hear that in combination with the other things that I experienced at Walmart, um, that were just mainly a very negative and toxic work environment. I said, you know, <laughs> this idea of being a store manager is probably not going to materialize and probably not something I want to spend the next two decades pursuing. Um, just just being in a negative work environment alone is reason enough not to do it. So <clears throat> I um, made the bold move to get into education and no regrets. You know, um, I, I really enjoy being with you guys and being able to teach and talk about uh, the things that you know I've been exposed to and I'm still learning uh, I learn things every week and I strive to learn more just so uh, I can be better at, at teaching and I can know more you know because um, uh, nobody knows everything and uh, there's a ton of stuff I don't know I mean if you look around at Wayne community every uh, Every faculty member brings this whole encyclopedia of knowledge with them in their content area, and I only know a small piece of, if like, of if anything about what their content area is. I mean, there's just so much amazing knowledge to to just just at Wayne Community. I mean, uh, look around the different departments. I mean, biology, psychology, nursing departments. Uh, forestry I mean you name it and each one of these departments has a tremendous wealth of things you can learn and so if you look at things like that I really just have such a limited 
amount of knowledge. And so uh, there's always more to learn. Once you graduate, you know, I, I've told this story before. I don't know if I've told it to you, but <clears throat> once you graduate, you have this idea that, okay, I've got the piece of paper. Now I can get the job and get the money. But what that degree is really saying is that you have learned a system for how to learn and you can use that to learn anything for the rest of your life you can apply it however you choose to apply it you don't need the institution anymore uh, once you have gotten to that point where you can say I've got the degree now um, the institution will be there but you can go out and learn anything you want to learn you can go get books you can watch videos you can get on the job training and uh, just it's limitless you know whatever you want to do you can study whatever you want so that being said let me jump back into chapter 14 okay so if you'll remember <clears throat> we left off on Tuesday talking about uh, Maslow and his hierarchy of needs do you remember what that was all about well with Maslow he had this idea of grouping needs into a hierarchy which basically said that people will fulfill their base needs first, their physiological needs, and then as those needs are met, they're able to fulfill what he called higher order needs, things like safety, security, um, psychological needs like love, affection, um, social gatherings, and the ultimate pinnacle of all of this is this hierarchy of needs is this idea of self-actualization where you reach this high point where all the needs are aligned and then once that happens you feel this moment of zen this 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 moment where everything is right with the world all your needs are met you're not hungry you're not thirsty you feel loved you feel safe you feel connected and uh, it's just a awesome moment, you know, where everything is going right. And the thing about self-actualization, it's brief. It, it doesn't last because sooner or later you're going to get hungry again. <laughs> you're going to get thirsty. You're going to get tired. And as those physiological needs creep back up on you, they kind of interrupt all the other needs going up the hierarchy. You know, think about that. You know, if you're having a good day, everything's great. But all this, you know, you know, after a while you realize, man, I'm hungry. You know, I need something to eat. And so you think, well, I'll get something to eat in a little bit. Well, <clears throat> you keep on going about your business, but there's this small hunger pain going on, you know, in your stomach. And after a few more hours, you really think, man, I've got to get something to eat. Or I'm going to like, I'm going to freak out, you know, because <laughs> it starts to bother you, right? And so before you know it, everything else is on like the back burner, right? Doesn't matter what else is going on. I need to eat something, you know. Um, and so you, you make that happen, you know. You've seen the Snickers commercials. You're not yourself when you're hungry. Yeah. And so um, this hierarchy of needs is actually my favorite way of discussing motivation because it, it's so elementary. It does make sense if you think about it, you know. People resolve their physiological needs first. And then once those are met, they can address higher order needs. Um, so the next 
motivation theory to talk about is Aldford's ERG theory, which deals with a couple of different things. It deals with existence, relatedness, and growth. I really like this theory, too, because it is kind of a precursor for one of my other favorite theories that we'll talk about toward the end of the lecture. <clears throat> with Alford's ERG theory, it was developed by a guy named Clayton Aldford, and he observed that very few attempts had been made to test Maslow's full theory. Further, the evidence accumulated provided only partial support. During the process of refining and extending Maslow's theory, Alford provided another need-based theory and a somewhat more useful perspective on motivation. Alford's ERG theory compressed Maslow's five need categories into three, which are, once again, existence, relatedness, and growth. In addition, the ERG theory details the dynamics of an individual movement between the need categories in a somewhat more detailed fashion than typically characterized interpretation of Maslow's work. <clears throat> so, let's talk about those ERG uh, concepts or ERG metrics for a moment. So, existence in this respect deals with the physiological needs and the safety needs. He compressed those two together for Maslow's hierarchy. And so, you address those existential needs first. If there's an emergency situation, you're addressing your safety needs first, right? Uh, making sure that everybody's safe, you know, if there's a fire, everybody's out, you know, getting away from it. That's, that's dealing with that ERG and that, that supersedes all other needs at the moment. Once everything is good again, you know, with regards to your safety and your physiological needs, you can elevate yourself to the next level, which is dealing with relatedness. And this deals with social needs, social esteem needs and interpersonal safety needs. Um, and so <clears throat> right now we're all going through a little bit of social isolation. You know, we're used to being in class and we're used to being able to interact and have uh, a good camaraderie amongst ourselves. But right now uh, we're experiencing something a little different, you know, where we're not um, together. Yesterday I had to ride to the post office. I've been selling some stuff on eBay just as a hobby, really, just to have something to do. And so I've been taking stuff around the house that I said, you know, I'm not really using this anymore, interested in it. So I've been selling stuff on eBay. And my whole reason for doing it is basically just taking lots of little items and turning them into big items, you know, that I can enjoy more. So basically rearranging my collection. But in any case, I uh, had to pack up some stuff and take it to the post office. And when I did that, uh, I was getting out of my car, and I saw a good friend of mine named Julie Beck. She is the, you probably know Julie Beck, because uh, she's pretty famous around this part of the world. She is a very interesting character and person. Um, <clears throat> known her for probably over 10 years now. And just, uh, just, just give you a little bit of background about her. She is a world traveler. I think she's been to something like around 160 countries around the world. She's been to every continent, I believe. Um, she may or may not have been to Antarctica, but I believe she's been to all seven continents. And so, um, but I saw Julie from a distance, 
and I said, oh man, I got to talk to Julie real quick. So when I got out of the car, I, I said to her, do you mind if I talk to you from a distance? And with a smile, and she started laughing, and, and we, uh, you know, kind of approached each other. We did the elbow bump, and then we talked from our safe talking distance for a little while. But <clears throat> we ended up talking for, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes, and I had my kids in the car right behind me, and after I was done talking, uh, I went back to the car, and my kids said, oh, Dad, you talked for a long time. <laughs> they, were, they were criticizing how long I was talking. But part of that, um, in context of what we're talking about with Alfer's ERG theory, is that I was fulfilling a social need. I hadn't seen Julie in a long time, and it's rare that I have a, uh, I guess, a meaningful dialogue with an adult on a daily basis outside of my wife or immediate family. And so for me to see Julie and know that she's a good friend and, and, and good conversationalist, I, I enjoyed having that conversation with her and talking to her about you know, all things that, you know, were on our, on our little quick list of uh, topics, you know, other people we knew, how are they doing, things like that. So, but um, once we fulfill that relatedness goal, we go to the next goal, which is growth needs, which deal with internal self-esteem needs, things we want to fulfill, and then self-actualization needs, things to get us to that pinnacle that we're after, that we pursue. So Alford basically took the Maslow concept, condensed it down to existence, relatedness, and growth. Um, And so you can look at this in the context of a workplace. And so let's say you applied Alford's ERG theory to the workplace. So what would existential things in the workplace look like? Things like uh, the, the temperature in the room, too hot or too cold. Is, do you have clean air to work in? Is the air musty, dusty, toxic? You know, that's something that's existential. Is the lighting appropriate? Can you see? Uh, are the restrooms appropriate? Do they work? Um, my wife worked at a job uh, where the bathroom did not function for over six months and they had to leave the place of employment to go to the bathroom somewhere else. I'm pretty sure that deals with existence, right? Our physiological needs. And not to mention how that affects that particular theory, but that interacts with another theory I'll talk about toward the end. But things like our, our salary, um, the ca- if there's a cafeteria or food available, uh, safe conditions, things like that. Relatedness opportunities are friendships that we have at work, uh, quality supervision, the teams we work on, social events, um, so social recognition. These are you know, these are relatedness opportunities, and then for, for growth, challenging job, creativity, autonomy, the freedom to have choice over how we kind of dictate our day, interesting work, achievement participation and uh, responsibility and so there's another theory I want to bring up because it's very much related and in a part of the chapter which is Frederick Hertzberg's motivated hygiene theory also known as two-factor theory and hygiene theory doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means with regards to personal hygiene but they are factors that can affect personal hygiene 
And just to explain it in simple terms, I'm going to kind of explain it the way I, as I understand it, and then I'll kind of read what the book talks about. But um, a hygiene factor is something that doesn't necessarily motivate you, but the lack of it will demotivate you. And so, as an example, if we all came to class every day, we don't really notice that the lighting is there, the Wi-Fi is there, the, the projector is working, and the air conditioner is, is the perfect temp. But if we came to class the next day, and it was 10 or 15 degrees hotter in the classroom, if the projector didn't work, if the Wi-Fi didn't work, if the lighting was flickering, those would be considered hygiene factors, and it would affect our performance. It affects how we feel, and so those factors don't necessarily make us more motivated to do good work, but without them in place, we definitely, you know, can, can be impacted by that. Same thing with the bathroom. You know, when we think about bathrooms, we do think about hygiene factors, but imagine that you have a workplace that doesn't have a, a working bathroom, well, having a bathroom available just seems like an ordinary thing and not necessarily a motivator. You know, it doesn't make you want to perform any better because you have a working bathroom at your job. But not having one is definitely a demotivator because you have to think, well, you, I mean, you might, depending on your age, you might have to plan. You know, some people have to go to the bathroom more frequently. And so you might have to say, well, if I'm going to have to leave the building and go to another business or something to go to the bathroom, I might have to anticipate and, uh, and, go, and like kind of say, well, I need to go to the bathroom like 30 minutes before I might regularly go just so I might, you know, not get into an emergency where I really have to go, you know. So, and that is a demotivator. If people are thinking about that, they're not thinking about their business, you know, they're not thinking about productivity. And so... Uh, these these hygiene factors are very important and as a manager as an owner you should try to identify those things and think what what are these hygiene factors present so this theory further refines Maslow's theory Hertzberg argues that there are two sets of needs instead of the five sets theorized by Maslow he called the first set motivators or growth needs motivators which relate to the jobs we perform and our ability to feel a sense of achievement as a result of performing them are rooted in our need to experience growth and self-actualization. The second set of needs are hygienes. Yeah, this is what I was talking about. Hygienes relate to the work environment and are based on the basic human need to avoid pain. According to Hertzberg, growth needs uh, motivate us to perform well and when these areas are met, lead to experience of satisfaction. Hygiene needs, on the other hand, must be met to avoid dissatisfaction. So, this leads us to my one of my favorite theories, probably second to um, talking about Maslow's theory, which is self-determination theory. And self-determination, or SDT, deals with this idea of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And around, let me think what year we're talking, I'm going to say, gosh, it's been a while. This was probably 2010, 2011, around that, that time frame. Um, I was exposed to a book called Drive by Daniel Pink. And the, and the subtitle is, it's Drive, the Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us. 
and uh, a friend of mine was reading this book and I got a hold of it and I read it and I actually listened to the audio book too um, but it was so powerful um, you know I talk, every semester I ask students what books they, they read or what they like to read and there's a chunk of students that don't read and I get that and I think the reason people don't read is because they haven't found their book yet once you find your book, the book that you love, that changes your life, I think that really changes how you feel about books because there are books out there that will change your life, that will make you see things differently. And Drive was one of those books for me because before that book, I really thought about motivation in a in a antiquated way, in a uh, in a wrong way. Motivation before I read this book was this idea of sticks and carrots which is where you use incentives to try to prompt people to do things. You know, if you, if you do this, if this chore, this task, I will give you, you know, this piece of candy or this, or this reward for doing it. But if you don't do it, then I will punish you in some way or I will write you up uh, for, for not complying and doing the work. And so this sticks and carrots. Sticks being the punishment, carrots being the incentive. And the problem with sticks and carrots is that they really don't work very well. Um, you know, if somebody doesn't like their job, doesn't like the work, carrots will only go so far. You know, like when I was at Walmart, you couldn't give me enough incentive to stay. I mean, you'd have to pay me just a crazy exorbitant amount of money. And even then, I would think this is not worth it. You know, there's no price that you can put on your happiness and wellness. Um, and so, like, you know, I mean, it would be hard to turn down hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, but I would do that at a cost. Uh, I, I mean, when you're working 60 hours a week, not sleeping well, stressed constantly, there's a physical, mental, spiritual cost to that money. And so, you have to realize that when you work somewhere you're trading your time and your talents for the value that you bring and for the money that they they offer but you shouldn't have to trade your happiness your wellness and these other things that affect you when you work a job that you don't like and so at some point you have to realize you know to me it's just money and even though i like making money i love to love to make more money um but i don't want to make money in a way that's compromises uh, my ability to live to the kind of life I want to live, you know. And so that being said, um, sticks and carrots just don't work very well, you know. And so if people people don't like their job, and, you know, you can offer them, hey, $100 bonus, you know. You know, people look at that and think, you know, oh, great, 100 bucks, I still hate my job, you know. <laughs> so, and, you know, and you could do this. You could give everybody a raise. Okay, we're going to give everybody a $1,000 raise. And then for a very short amount of time, it could be a month, it could be six months, everybody feels great about that thousand bucks. But really, really quickly, quicker than you think, people will regress back to their pre-raised levels of satisfaction and motivation. And so sticks and carrots just don't work. Um, what does work with regards to self-determination theory are managers identifying intrinsic and extrinsic motivators and the real magic that happens is when you can connect somebody with intrinsic rewards 
things that they feel naturally inclined to do and they want to do. Um, one reason that I love teaching and I hope that I'm good at teaching is because I'm naturally inclined to do this. I love being able to, to participate and do, do this type of, type of work. Um, if it was like pulling teeth for me to, to teach, then it would not be enjoyable. And uh, my boss would probably have to get on me all the time about doing stuff. But I try to constantly share what I'm doing with my boss so she knows that, hey, I'm intrinsically motivated. I'm getting this done because, not because you're telling me to do it, although she does send out reminders, but because I feel inclined to do it because this is my livelihood and this is um, what I'm called to do. I feel like I have a connection with my work. And so if you can identify the right fit, put the right person with the right type of work, something they naturally are inclined to do, then that's a winning combination. Some people love to work outdoors. And if you've got a job that requires somebody to work outdoors and you find somebody that loves it, man, that's, that's a winning combination. But if you take an indoor person and you put them outdoors, uh, that's, that's probably not going to be a winning combination. So you as a manager have to identify that. And you're constantly having to fight with uh, personnel. As, not personnel meaning fight with the person. Fight the battle of having to uh, get the right person in that right spot. And it's just a challenge because some, you know, you're tempted just to put a body in a, in a hole that you have in your organization because you need that spot field. But you have to resist that temptation because uh, you want to find that right person, the right fit for the right job. All right, there's a couple more theories to talk about before we end the chapter. Um, <clears throat> just to elaborate a little bit more on self-determination theory, it seeks to explain not only what causes motivation, but also how extrinsic rewards affect intrinsic motivation. This is another interesting piece or a part of the theory is that extrinsic rewards can actually hamper or lessen internal motivation. So like, you know, if you give somebody some type of recognition for something they naturally are inclined to do, it can actually be a turnoff for them to want to do it. Um, and so, you know, these, this idea of carrots, this, 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 this incentive might be a turnoff for some people or might be a demotivator for people. So you have to be careful with that. Um, people that are naturally inclined to do things or intrinsically motivated do it just because they feel inclined to do it. You know, I'll give you another example. My uncle's an artist, great artist, and he's a musician, and he's a tremendous mu musician. Um, so as he's growing up, he said, you know, I want to be an artist. And he went to art school, graduated. He's got a, a bachelor's degree in, in arts or fine arts. And he did all kinds of work in the past, you know, charcoal and uh, pencils and painting. And, and now he does a graphic design for a T-shirt manufacturer or clothing manufacturer. They do T-shirts, they do sweatshirts and hats and things like that. So does a lot of sports teams and things like that, you know, different different designs and stuff. Well, I believe, just been talking with him, that my, th my thesis is, my hypothesis is that now that he's been doing this for a long time, he's not motivated to do art from a intrinsic level. You think about it, if you do this job every day, you know, you just show up and He's, he's having to do it as work. 
he is less intrinsically motivated to do art than if he was doing something else and he did art as a passion. Uh, because he's paid to do art, it's kind of like uh, he, he just doesn't come home. And I, don't, I, don't, I never see him doing art at home, really, because he does art all day at work. And so uh, right there, you know, it's kind of saying uh, to me that there is something to this self-determination theory that the extrinsic reward of pay at work is, is lessening his natural inclination to do art. Um, and so this is a theory. This is not set in stone, but it's just uh, I, it makes sense to me that that, that could occur. Um, there was another thought I had on this I wanted to share with you. It'll come back to me. But um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> just in brief, self-determination theory deals with intrinsic and ext extrinsic rewards. Um, so we've talked about a bunch of different theories. There's a couple more just to mention. Um, there's these things called process theories of motivation, and it deals with different types of conditioning. So there are four major process theories, operant conditioning, equity, goal, and expectancy. And so let's talk about a few different aspects. So uh, reinforcement, what does that mean? What does it mean to reinforce something? And so reinforcement occurs when a consequence makes it more likely the response or behavior will be repeated in the future. So uh, if, if my children do something unexpected that is a positive, like if they clean the kitchen up, I will reinforce that with compliments. And they will like the compliments and hopefully do that behavior again in the future. That's reinforcement. Extinction, on the other hand, occurs when a consequence makes it less likely the response behavior will be repeated in the future. When my son is trying to like run out the door or uh, do something, you know, like get something he's not supposed to get, we will criticize that behavior and hopefully he won't repeat it in the future. Um, so a couple other reinforcers, there's negative reinforcement. Uh, this one, the easiest way to explain negative reinforcement because in my mind, when I first learned about it, um, or I first heard about it, it seemed to be something different than it was. You think negative reinforcement, which is something negative that reinforces behavior like spanking is the first thing that comes to mind, but that's actually incorrect. A better example of negative reinforcement is something negative in the environment that you have to take action to stop or, or remove. So a good example is... Um, that we all go through if you get in the car and crank it and start driving on the roads uh, a little alarm will probably ding telling you that you need to put your seatbelt on that is a negative reinforcer it's something that's annoying that is a negative in the environment that you have to take action to remove another good example is an alarm clock that's a negative reinforcer because it, when it goes off it's something that is kind of uh, disturbing your peace and you have to take action in order to avoid, or in order to change that. Punishment is an, is an aversive consequence that follows a behavior that makes it less likely to reoccur. And then uh, let's, let me get into these last uh, bit of theories. So equity theory <coughs> states that motivation is affected by the outcome we receive or our inputs that compare to the outcomes and inputs of other people. So 
if I see me working really hard, and I know I get, you know, ten bucks an hour, and I see Julie working very hard, uh, for working not very hard, and she also gets ten dollars an hour, I'm thinking, well, I'm working too hard, because Julie's doing less and she's getting paid the same thing I am, so I need to adjust my work level to hers, in order for it to be fair, because why should I put out, you know, thirty-seven units an hour when she's only putting out twenty-seven? So I need to adjust my workflow in order to be in line with Julie. Uh, I know it sounds silly, but equity theory is very much a real thing. <clears throat> this is one reason why they always talk about don't share your salary or pay pay rate with other people, because people <laughs> people do like get jealous and it does affect motivation. Um, I don't know. I have mixed feelings on on that idea of sharing. Uh, pay rates. Uh, I think you know it's your business if you want to share it and talk about it, I'm because. Sorry, hey, son. How are you? My son just walked in the room. Say hello, Jack. You want to say hello? No, he said no. He won't talk to you. But uh, yeah, I think it's your business if you want to talk about that or not. And how are you going to know what other salaries are out there unless you talk about it? So I think you know that's something that people do anyway. But that's, that's your business. Um, last two theories: goal theory states that people will perform better if they have a difficult, specific, accepted performance goal or objective. I think everybody should have a goal they're working towards all the time. You know, uh, just something that you can work on, so work towards. I think that's fantastic if you can do that. Um, expectancy theory, this is uh, basically dealing with expectations. Meaning that if I do X, Y will occur. If I you know, go to bed early, I expect to wake up refreshed, right? But if you go to bed early and you wake up not refreshed, there's a imbalance there and you're disappointed because you had an expectation that something would occur. All right, that does wrap up my lecture for Chapter 14 on motivation. I appreciate your time and attention. Um, if you need anything at all, please reach out. I'm here for you. I apologize for my uh, allergy voice this morning, but... I am here to help. Anything that you need, please uh, email me. And don't forget about your homework. Talk to you soon, guys. Have a good one. Thank you so much for spending some time with me on the podcast. I hope you got something out of it and learned something that you can use in the world and share with others. If you did like it, please indicate so by liking, sharing, or going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Until next time, I wish you well. Hey everyone, it's your favorite instructor, Ryan Bradshaw, and just wanted to spend some time with you today to go through a recap of kind of what we talked about this week, and also talked about some practical applications and just a little more, I guess, in-depth into the subject matter of equal opportunity and why it's important, <clears throat> and then also talk a little bit more about um, personal finance, which is uh, something that uh, I think is important to talk about and I've been incorporating it into our lecture over the course of the semester <clears throat> and just tremendously important to me and it's important for you and important for our society as a whole uh, and for basically the world economy to take this seriously and so that being said um, before we get started in those I guess three aspects of our lecture um, let's talk about other things that's been going on. Um, one thing that I'll mention um, is 
right now we have evaluation time. You've probably been getting some emails about instructor evaluations. And so uh, feel free to fill that out and just give me some honest feedback. Um, we like to get feedback because this is my fifth year. I'm coming to a close of my fifth year. And I'd like to think that I've improved uh, over those five years and tried to <clears throat> make sure that I'm delivering a message that everybody can connect with <clears throat> and try to just, I guess, be a good teacher. That's what I'm, I'm striving to do and, and be someone that is able to connect with students and provide good content that you guys are interested in and enjoy learning about. I have to say that, as an aside, when I was a, a student, my best experience in college was at a community college. Um, <clears throat> I had had a really bad experience in high school in history class. In fact, my history teacher was my dad's history teacher, um, and she had been there forever, um, and just really kind of a negative person. And it's so amazing how <clears throat> attitude and enthusiasm can be can have so much impact on the environment and the tone and pace of the learning environment because I actually dreaded going to this class <clears throat> and because of that dread I had a negative association with history and so anything dealing with history I thought I hate don't want to mess with it don't want to deal with it and so um, that was a big turnoff but when I got to the community college setting my instructor was a guy named Dr. Jim Humphreys and the guy was so passionate about his subject and so intelligent that I was just super impressed with the guy. He had read so many books and was able to <clears throat> basically just free lecture. He didn't have to do a lot of prep. He could go in there and just start telling stories about real history. He had read, just dug deep into like individual lives of what happened during these different times and places of history. And so I really tried hard and studied in his classes. I took Western Civilization and U.S. History. Um, I might have took a third class, but I really, really enjoyed history because he made all the difference. It was his teaching style and his, his enthusiasm for the subject matter. It made a big difference. And so when I graduated with my doctorate, I actually emailed Dr. Humphreys and said, you know, I just wanted to thank you for your influence on me all those years ago because it made a difference. It made made me uh, want to be that kind of teacher. And I emailed several of my old instructors and thanked them for the influence they had on me. And I believe as an instructor that we are, well, instructors are the great instructors that they learn from. So whoever, like, in fact, I did a lecture one time at a, at a conference and what I talked about was I believe that we are, as teachers, we incorporate the, we embody the best practices and personalities of our best teachers. And so I told the story of, I, I, I had figured out that about, over the course of my life, I had about 100 different teachers. And through that experience, only about 10 of them were remarkable. People that I could you know, tell a story about and make remarks about because they had made such an impact on my life. And so, uh, that being said, I went through and started naming, you know, one of them was a guy named Johnny Thompson, who was a English language arts instructor in, in seventh grade. 
and he was just very vibrant. He would sing walking down the hallways, and it was very just different than what you experienced with other teachers, and just was a, a personality and, and, and somebody that was uh, had a lot of charisma. And um, I, I had wrote some poetry when I was younger, and he was very supportive of my writing. Very just inspired me as a, as a young person. And I told a story about my, one of my band instructors, Mr. Lowe, who was very passionate about his subject matter, and he cared about getting things right, uh, and taught me to care about getting things right and wanting to do things right. Um, I talked about another music instructor I had when I was younger, Mr. Stan Benton, who had inspired me to, to be creative, and uh, somebody that believed in me as a student and as a person. And so all these great, great instructors I had over the course of my life, another guy was a guy named uh, Jeff Sauvel, who was uh, a coach at Clinton High School, but also a civics instructor. And when I walked into his classroom, he would hey, be laid back with his feet on the desk drinking coffee. And for the first five or 10 minutes, he would talk about anything but the subject matter. And it put you at ease and it made you feel comfortable in the classroom. And I actually stole my intro to our conversations and our lectures from Mr. Sauvel because I feel like that's a good way to get to know students better, good way to put students at ease and to make connections in the classroom. And that is such an important thing because not only is it important to make connections in the classroom, but it's important to make connections in the workplace. And so my hope for you would be that you would steal that from me uh, and when you get on the job and you become you know, a leader or a manager or both, that you will work to make connections with people and make the workplace an actual uh, kind of a family unit or a, a functional and positive work environment. Um, and so it's just uh, all this stuff ties together. I mean, and going back to the evaluation, which was my original point, these are the things that I strive to do, and I hope that you will take the time to fill out the evaluation and give me some good feedback. Um, other things, let's see. Right now we are going through summer registration. Um, if you have not talked to your instructor, I'm not sorry, advisor about this, uh, just be sure to let them know which way you're gonna go. Even if you're planning not to take summer classes, it's a good idea to email your advisor just to say, hey, just let you know I'm not planning to register for summer classes. That way, the advisor is not going to spend a ton of time emailing and calling you and texting you, trying to get up with you to let you know, hey, what's up with you? Are you doing this or are you not? You know, if we're going to do it, we need to go ahead and get this done. Because um, they really, at Wayne, in any college, want us to be able to account for our students and know kind of where you're at and what you're doing. So um, just do your advisor the courtesy of letting them know which way you're going to go either way. Um, and so we've got evaluation discussed, we've got registration discussed. I guess uh, the next thing to talk about before we get into the content is, uh, I guess, current events. Um, you may have noticed today, or I'm sorry, uh, if you're listening to this on Friday, I'm recording on Thursday evening, um, the, instruct, the governor actually put out notice that they're going to extend the lockdown through May 8th. And they actually put out a three phase plan to reopen the economy and it looks like from my first read I just read it a while ago um, it looks like it's a process that could take 
several months, you know, I'd say two to three months, and we have to see positive results at each phase in order for them to go to the next phase of opening. Um, they're trying to create flexibility, but do it responsibly, where we can reopen parts of our economy in North Carolina and not cr create situations where risks would escalate dramatically. Um, I will say that the tone of the reading basically, I'm not saying raise the red flags, but it expressed to me that this is still a serious event. The fact that this would be a multi-month rollout and they had language in the reading that said that if they did a, uh, a phase, like we said we go from phase one to phase two, and they had an escalation of cases, then they would revert back to an earlier phase and tighten restrictions. And so all of this just once again reinforces the seriousness of this virus and by all means, please continue to take this seriously. Please, if you're not wearing masks in public, consider doing that. The CDC does encourage and, and advise that. Um, <clears throat> to be honest, I'm surprised it's not a requirement um, or just something that's strongly being encouraged in the media uh, or on advertising that we, we do that because I believe if everyone wear a mask, uh, it would dramatically reduce spread because people that are carriers would not be breathing as many particles onto objects and out because the mask would catch a large chunk of those particles. So um, in any case, um, that's the current update on that. Um, you've probably noticed, if you've looked at the map lately, that Wayne County does have quite a, bit, a few cases and a large part of those are due to the, uh, the prison, loose correctional facility. Um, I am seeing a theme uh, with regards to the virus, and the theme is uh, places where people gather, nursing homes, food processing plants, prisons, places where you have a high density of people, such as larger cities. That's where you see large amounts of cases. I mean, of course, more people live there, but also population density is higher. And so places where you see high levels of population density you see when the virus is there, higher cases of the virus. And then once again, that could be because of just more people, but I believe it has something to do with uh, more people in tighter density. And so that being said, uh, I just, nobody knows what the future holds, but continue to do your part by being safe, acting responsibly, and doing your best to maintain that social distancing, wearing masks, hand washing, sanitizing, all those things are good and uh, we're all still going through this together. Try to keep your morale up, maintain that positive morale. Do something that will keep you um, in a positive mindset. I used to have a small eBay business and I would buy and sell collectibles mostly in the comic and toy areas. I would buy vintage 70s and 80s toys and I would buy vintage uh, 50s through modern era comics, and I would basically buy and resell them. Uh, sometimes I would have them graded by a grading company. And so I've started doing that in a, just a very limited fashion, mainly as uh, a hobby and something to uh, have something to work towards. Basically, I'm taking 
things around the house and selling them in order to uh, have something to do that's, that's fun and interesting and plan to use the money towards uh, other collectibles. So that's just a hobby that I've kind of picked back up and uh, I've been doing a lot of writing. And so whatever it is that can keep you in a positive mindset, please continue to do that or please adopt something. My mom has, you know, she's been doing a bunch of different things. She was for a long time into coloring, those adult coloring books, but now she's doing puzzles. She was doing three to 500 piece puzzles, but now she's graduated to a thousand piece puzzles. And I'm really impressed with how quickly they can throw together some of these puzzles. Uh, her and my daughters were working on one today with a thousand pieces, and they probably worked on it, no kidding, probably, I'd say at least two to three hours, and made a lot of progress. They're still not done, but uh, those things are, are basically things that can kind of distract us and keep, a, keep our mind occupied. It's uh, intrinsic activities, and so whether you're playing a sport, like you're playing, shooting some hoops, or playing a video game, or a board game, or painting, or playing an instrument, whatever it may be, these intrinsic activities are really good for your mental health. So, all right, so I've done my pre-class speech talking about uh, evaluations, talking about registration, talking about the coronavirus. So let's talk about a brief recap of what we talked about this week. So we talked about um, Title VII with the Civil Rights Act, and the main takeaway from that was what? You remember? Basically, it talks about how people are protected in a number of ways. There's a bunch of legally protected status. And what are, do you remember what those are? In general, people cannot be discriminated against on the basis of race, religion, color, creed, national origin, sex, or gender, sexual orientation, uh, and many other uh, protected status, things like pregnancy and disability included. Um, and so we want to work towards having workplaces and society in our society that doesn't marginalize individuals. Um, we have an interesting melting pot that we live in here in the United States. And because there's so many different people from all around the world and a lot of people have, you know, a lot of different religions, a lot of different ideas and philosophies and ideologies. And we have to understand that because of this melting pot that we live in with a bunch of different people, that we have to be accepting of, you know, we don't have to accept and internalize other people's ideas and, and uh, ideologies, but we have to accept the fact that they have the right to believe and think what they want to just as we have a right to believe and think what we want to and so it really is kind of a give and take uh, on the one hand you know you think you might like for everybody to think the way you think and believe the things you believe and uh, kind of uh, speak the way you speak and talk the way you talk but that really would lead to a very dull world it's, it's because of our rich diversity that gives America a vibrance, you know, and it's one of the, it's one of the reasons uh, that's, that we have this idea of American exceptionalism where people believe in this idea of the American dream where you can come to this country if you're from somewhere else and succeed because of our system. And people that were born here know, uh, should know that this is a 
land of opportunity and even though um, it's easy to fall into the mindset of oh man you know it's hard to make it there's just a lot of uh, challenges there's still a lot of good opportunities in America uh, and sometimes you just have to put things in perspective um, I have a, a continuing conversation with a good friend of mine and we talk about challenges in the modern world and there are a lot of them you know it costs a lot of money to, to live in America it just does and but number one we live in a cheaper part of the country in North Carolina to live even though I mean it does cost money to live but number two if you compare the lifestyle of a typical American to the lifestyle of many people around the world um, we may not have the hat the the top happiness indicator or the most stress-free but our lifestyles I mean there's a lot of positives that come with that I mean uh, for the most part we enjoy a lot of freedoms and we have access to so much in this country we have access to all different types of foods uh, access to, to health care um, and, and so there's just this is a great place to be but keeping within the theme of marginalization we, we don't want to create systems, whether it's in the workplace or in society, where people feel like they're discriminated against. You wouldn't want to be discriminated against for your ideas, thoughts, beliefs, and it's wrong to marginalize others for their ideas, thoughts, and beliefs. Even if it's a strongly disagreement, strong disagreement against somebody else's beliefs, <clears throat> we still have a system where we want to encourage others to offer ideas because otherwise um, it would be a totalitarian authoritative state and that's a really dangerous place to be because in some of these authoritarian countries <clears throat> you can be locked up for an idea um, that goes against the grain you know and so in order to make progress in order to grow through knowledge we have to be able to have freedom to explore ideas and talk about them amongst ourselves in academia. And as a student, <clears throat> you really should look at yourself as a scholar. I know you may not feel like a scholar because you, a lot of you are just getting started, but what the end result of this journey is, is that you will have the capacity to understand that knowledge is really nothing more than being able to learn by observing, learn by doing, learn by reading, learn by viewing and so once you go through these processes of learning <clears throat> you realize you can learn anything <clears throat> there's no limit to what you can learn the only limit is your capacity to want to do it and so uh, if you want to achieve anything through learning you can do it it's just a matter of capacity and determination and so we talked about title 7 we talked about these legally protected status. What else did we talk about this week? <clears throat> we talked about um, other forms of discrimination in the workplace. <clears throat> Excuse me. We talked about age discrimination. Something that you don't hear about a lot, but does it does happen. And there's a reason why we continue to talk about it. <clears throat> because it's wrong to discriminate against people, uh, especially older people, for uh, in the workplace. Um, why would why would workplaces discriminate against older workers? Why do you think that is? <clears throat> Could it be that they may have an assumption that older workers may 
have more health issues or, or need more time off or be looking for retirement soon, something like that. And those assumptions could be totally wrong and, as it turns out, are illegal uh, because we have an age discrimination protection in this country. What other things do we look at or talk about? So we also talked about um, pregnancy discrimination and talked about if, if, uh, if a woman is pregnant, um, how we in the workplace should not have that as a factor for employment or promotion or any other metric. And we should only view the metric as um, the value the individual brings and performance. Uh, pregnancy should not be a, a concern. Um, women have the legal right <clears throat> to be able to um, take time off for pregnancy. And through the FMLA, which we didn't talk about this week, but we've talked about in the past, Family Medical Leave Act, I believe they can take up to either 12 or 16 weeks of protected leave. I think it's 12, 12 weeks of protected leave <clears throat> where the employer has to retain their job. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be paid protected leave, but they have to be able to return within that time frame in order to uh, still maintain that job or, or have a guarantee that their job will be held for them. Uh, but yeah, I mentioned on Wednesday that uh, any type of discrimination in like an interview setting where um, you actually as an interviewer or on an interview committee talk about the pregnancy and are the, inst the instigator of that conversation, <clears throat> that's actually an illegal conversation where if the woman is not hired, she could say that the reason why she wasn't hired was because she was pregnant. And whether that be the case or not, but that could be a actionable cause. And remember, we've talked about actionable cause in the past where that could give uh, a, law a lawyer a potential end to say, hey, you know, this is my client wasn't hired. We believe it's for this reason. So whether it's true or not, your organization may have to spend thousands of dollars in legal fees in order for to battle that court case and so you have to be aware of these potential litigations and really uh, kind of walk the line to avoid them the best way to do that is through uh, making sure that you stick to a scripted interview process and follow your company's protocols for reporting I also mentioned this week, we talked about sexual harassment in the workplace um, or harassment in general, which can create a toxic work environment. We don't want to create a toxic work environment at all. <clears throat> Just like with marginalization, it's not fun to be picked on or to feel like you're being left out. You remember those days back in elementary school, kindergarten through like fourth grade, where you know you might have felt like you weren't a part of a group or somebody made you feel like you were on the outs with the group. Uh, maybe that never happened to you, but I know it happened to me on occasion. I think it happens to most kids. <clears throat> and when that happens, you feel marginalized. You feel ostracized, and it's not a good feeling. And believe it or not, adults go through same type things. You know, we, we uh, intentionally and unintentionally marginalize other people. And we don't realize it sometimes, but sometimes we, we do that on purpose. <clears throat> that being said, um, people also create toxic or uh, harassment-based work environments. And that is just a really 
uh, terrible way to, to treat your colleagues and coworkers, to have them feeling like, I don't want to go to work today because I don't want to talk to this individual because when I do, they make me feel uncomfortable and because of that, um, <clears throat> I may consider looking for a job somewhere else or I may consider reporting this behavior that makes me feel uncomfortable to human resources, which is not a good thing. I mean, it's uh, could result in um, a write-up or termination on the part of the individual who is uh, making the harassing comments or, or the harassing behaviors. So you really want to, as a manager, number one, make sure you never engage in any type of harassing behavior. Um, <clears throat> one way to protect yourself is to always make sure that you're never alone with other individuals. Um, regardless of gender because if you're alone in a room with another individual um, that individual can say that you said or did anything and that puts you in a compromising situation and as a courtesy to the other person by being alone with that individual you may make that person feel uncomfortable and so it puts them in a compromising situation and so I think as a courtesy you want to like leave office doors open um, and if you have to have a private conversation with somebody, um, try to have another witness in the room that may be a upper level manager or somebody that can hear and account for the conversation so that uh, there could be no, uh, you know, I guess disagreement on what was said. Um, I know when I was at Walmart, if we had to have a difficult conversation with an associate, we had to have at least another assistant manager in the room or a co or store manager in the room in order to um, have an account of the dialogue that was said and there could be no <clears throat> accusations of impropriety or harassment of any kind because we have a witness that heard the conversation and so that is a, a good practice and uh, it just it, as a, like I said as a courtesy to other people you don't want to put them in a situation where they're alone in the room with you and it may make them feel uncomfortable uh, because they could be thinking the same things that we're talking about right now that what if what if somebody says that I said something, you know, or you just, you just never know. And so as a courtesy, I like to, like I try to leave my door open to my office and if somebody wants to have a conversation, uh, this closed door, I always feel a little uncomfortable, you know, because uh, I'm thinking, you know, what if they say something taboo or say that I said something that was uh, not correct or that was in a harassing tone? And so, um, yeah, I just like, I think it's a good practice to uh, follow those protocols that I've, I've outlined. But you also, like I said with the, the previous thing, you want to make sure that you're following the protocols outlined by your organization because they should have good human resource practices in place. I say that there are some businesses that are smaller, small businesses, and they may not have a well-outlined, uh, I guess, protocol for like human interactions <coughs> or human resource interactions. And so that might be something that you could bring to the table as value. So if you're hired as a manager at a small business um, that might have you know 20 or 30 employees and the owner has never had any formal training with regards to... Um, the kind of training you're getting at Wayne Community, you might be able to bring up these things like, have you ever thought about 
having some type of formal HR manual that kind of gives us uh, some 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 practices, some best practices that we go through in order to kind of re- re- reduce litigative activities or potential litigation activities and uh, just to help us have better, safer work practices. So that's something that you could bring to the table and be a value adder to your to your employer. All right, so we talked about all those different things in chapter 14. Really good chapter. And we've got two, two chapters left, chapter 15 and 16. And next week, we're going to be getting into uh, <clears throat> chapter 15. And then we'll just have the final week, which will be covering chapter 16 early in the week. Uh, the last day of class, I believe, is still officially May 8th. And so we are quickly approaching that. We're basically two weeks out. And so it's really important that you do all homework and get all your assignments turned in because zeros really add up to affect uh, your outcome in the course. And so if you're not turning assignments, it really can uh, affect your grade. So be sure you're doing that. All right. So a couple other discussion points. I did a recap of the chapter. We had an intro conversation. And so now let's talk a little bit about um, some, some practical applications just in brief, and then we'll get to talking about personal finance a little bit in brief. But <clears throat> some just some good practical application stuff from chapter 14 and key takeaways and how you can kind of incorporate this into your life. Um, one good practical application is to talk about this stuff with other people um, because you really internalize it as you teach it and talk about it to others. And there may be something that you learned this week that you know was something that you'd never thought about or heard before and so it's important that you kind of share these ideas with friends families colleagues co-workers because when you do that you explain the things that you've learned and it's a good way to share good work practices that we've talked about um, it's good for them to learn that but it's also good for you because you really start to internalize these ideas <clears throat> and another good thing to do is to uh, continue your study beyond this because uh, a lot of students get in this this habit or this idea that I'm only going to focus on what I'm required to do in the course and nothing nothing else you know but what you'll end up ha- what will end up happening and you won't realize it's happening is that you'll be exposed to news media at some point that will talk about things like sexual harassment or toxic work environments, or um, legally protected status, things like that that we've talked about. And then you'll have this aha moment, say, well, I learned about that in college, and I actually have some knowledge on this. And so as you now see this and recognize it because it's something you've learned about, this will be a new lens that you've added to your repertoire, and you will start to dial into that information a little bit more finally now because you've been exposed to it and your inf- your knowledge base will grow because of the exposure that you're now aware of to other things in the media and in the world and so let me give you a good example of that um, I saw commercials for Huggies diapers my entire life you know growing up I remember commercials from like the 80s and cute little babies you know crawling across the floor and Huggies and things like that but to me, those commercials never meant anything to me because, you know, I'm single male, right? No, no kids. But the moment I started, my, my wife and I started having kids, 
all of a sudden, I started noticing the Huggies commercials. I started watching the, the Gerber commercials. I started getting attuned to that information because it was important to me now. You know, I, I had some exposure uh, to, to children now, and I started to learn about things I needed to know. And so that information was now relevant to me. And so now that you've had exposure to talking about equal opportunity and harassment in the workplace and legally protected status, that information is now relevant to you in the sense that you have a greater understanding of what it is. And when you see information like that in the workplace or in the real world, uh, hopefully you'll dial into it a little bit more closely and add to what you've learned in the classroom. That's the key thing. One of our jobs as teachers is to expose you to material that creates a, an insatiable flame, something that you, a hunger for knowledge, and then when you see things in the world, you recognize, like, oh man, I know a little bit about this, and it just continues to, uh, one book leads to another book, one article leads to another article, and you continually, perpetually learn and add to your knowledge base. And so those are some practical applications for this knowledge, and I hope you'll uh, kind of tune into that and take that with you. All right, so the last thing I want to talk about before we end our lecture today is talking about this idea of personal finance. So we've talked about money quite a bit this semester, um, and we've talked about just many different aspects, credit, talked about saving, investing, mutual funds, stocks, bonds. Remember what I said stocks and bonds are? Stocks are units of ownership of a company. So if the if this company issues a million shares and you buy 500,000 shares, you own 50% of that company, you know, because you own those individual, so many individual units. But if you go and buy one share of stock, you own one one millionth of that company. If it was divided into a million pieces, which it is because of the stock, you own one one millionth of a, of a piece of that company. And so stock is units of ownership. Bonds are basically loans that you give a company. So when you invest in a bond, you are basically giving a loan to a corporation or the government if you buy treasuries. And so um, stocks are more risky but have a potential higher return. I say potential, it's not guaranteed. Bonds are traditionally thought of as more safe, less risky, because they have an agreed upon paid back with a certain amount of interest. Agreed upon, like, you give me $1,000 and I will pay you back that $1,000 with interest at this interest rate. That is how bonds work. Um, but I guess some of the main things I want to talk to you about with personal finance is to continue to encourage you to save. I know it's, uh, it's hard to save, but really, like so many things uh, I've talked to you about this semester, it does come down to habits. If you get in the habit of saving and you make a commitment to save, even if you say, I'm going to just save $1 a day, I'm going to make it so that I can save 30 bucks a month, $1 a day. I'm going to get a jar, and every day, instead of buying a soda or whatever it may be that you can give up to earn, get that $1 back, I'm going to put a dollar in a jar, and at the end of the year, you're going to have 365 bucks. And guess what? If you've got 365 bucks in a jar at the house, you're doing better than almost half of the country. Because before this pandemic came out, 
this crisis, uh, financial and pandemic crisis, uh, there was a survey that came out uh, within the past year that said that half of America couldn't come up with 400 bucks in the event of an emergency. So you have an emergency situation arise, you need $400, one out of two people can't come up with the 400 bucks. And so if you have that 365 in a jar, you're already doing something that most people can't do, which is come up with that kind of money in a short notice. But hey, you know, if you can't do the 365, what if you can do 50 cent a day? You know, at the end of the year, what you're gonna have? Nah, 100 and, oh, quick math, $82 and 50 cent? Yeah, I mean, that's a good amount of money to have sitting around, 100, almost 200 bucks. I mean, how many people would love to have $200 just sitting in a jar somewhere knowing that, hey, if my tire goes flat and I need to spend 100 bucks on a tire, I've got 200 bucks that I can pull out and make that happen. Or hey, if, if my kid gets sick or I get sick and I gotta go to the, the doctor and I know that it's gonna be at least 100 bucks for a doctor's visit and prescriptions, I can make that happen, you know? Uh, you know, I mean, things do happen, you know, and the longer you live, the more things that will happen. I mean, I recently had a car repair, and, uh, you know, I'll go ahead and tell you, it was $800. Man, 800 bucks. But, you know, it's either that or don't drive. I mean, I, I had to do it. And I believe in buying used cars simply because a new cars, you're taking a depreciation hit right out of the gate. And, uh, I used to be a car salesman, and when you spend some time in the car business, you kind of learn that used cars, there's a lot of value there that uh, you can, at least from my perspective, you can get a very nice car, not take the depreciation hit, and actually have lower car payments. Uh, and if you buy a good quality used car, you can still have a good good experience. Um, the car I drive is an older car, but uh, the payments are low, and I've only got about a year left in order to pay it off, and then I'll own it free and clear. I had a car that was paid off, and then uh, uh, I, somebody hit me, and it caused an accident, so, oh, my son's coming in the room. Hey, buddy. How are you? But anyway, um, I'll keep this brief uh, because he's, he's wanting to say hello to me, but I'll, I'll just say that uh, your goal should be to save $1,000. That should be like what you strive to do first, and once you hit that goal, you'll be just so proud of yourself for hitting that first $1,000. Um, and I know I've mentioned that before, but I really want to challenge you to do that. Even if you have to open up a second bank account, if you need to sell things on eBay on the side or get a part-time side gig, you know, I do some part-time work with Society St. Andrew and I'm lately I've just been saving anything I make with them, which is not very much. Hey son, I'll be right with you. My students are, are, are here with me. So you give me one second. But anyway, he's, he's start, about to start crying. I can tell. I know buddy. But anyway, um, Guys, I appreciate your time and attention, and I will be back in touch soon. I know this has all been kind of out of the norm. We're all just making it work. But if you need me, I know we're almost done. Uh, I'm here by email, so don't be afraid to reach out. And I'll talk to you soon. That's my son, Jack, and he says hello, too. All right, guys, have a great weekend. We'll talk again on Monday.